to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Ellen, and each episode, I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of a top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and will be full of behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips to help you get into your dream school. If you'd like to chat with one of these experts, you can sign up for a free consultation at the link in the description of this episode. Today, we'll hear from Heather McCutcheon, a former admissions reader at Dartmouth and a current Ingenious Prep counselor, about what Dartmouth admissions officers really want from applicants. Heather and I will explore what goes on behind the scenes in the Dartmouth admissions office and what students should include in their applications, especially their supplemental essays. Hi, Heather. How are you today? Hi, Ellen. I'm great. How are you? So obviously, you've been a frequent guest of the podcast, so listeners might already know you. But for new listeners, could you just tell me a little bit about yourself, your background? So I went to Dartmouth as an undergrad from Alabama, actually. So it was a big change in my life. I was a religion major there, and I did a senior fellowship in playwriting. I knew I wanted to be a writer. And I went directly from Dartmouth to the University of Iowa Playwrights Workshop and went from there to a career as a playwright. I had my first play in New York when I was approached by the Dartmouth Admissions Office, and they asked if I would be interested in doing some writing for them. Um, So that was how I connected with admissions in the first place. They wanted a Dartmouth alum who was a writer to kind of overhaul all their materials and make sure that they were attracting the kind of students they wanted. So I spent a lot of time in their like planning sessions, kind of listening to them talk about the kinds of students they wanted to attract and why. So I do think I have, you know, pretty good insight into what Dartmouth looks for. I also had my two oldest children <clears throat> both went to Dartmouth undergrad, and then they went on. My oldest went to Harvard Grad School of Education, and my second one is halfway through law school at Boston University. My third child is a senior in high school, so we're waiting for his college results right now. So I'm pretty involved in all this, both professionally for about 30 years. And just generally, what did your role entail as an admissions reader at Dartmouth? So admissions readers at Dartmouth go through a pretty intense training. In fact, returning admissions readers go through the same thing. So every year they do this pretty intense process to make sure that all the readers are on the same page. It's a lot of like practice cases to read and discuss and a really great examination of bias, personal bias, uh, how to identify what your own biases are because that's really important in a reader. And Dartmouth takes it very seriously. So they want each reader to be aware of the things that they may be disproportionately favor as well as disproportionately, you know, negate. So like for me, I realized I I had a disproportionate, a positive opinion of Eagle Scouts, like somebody who was an Eagle Scout um, in the Boy Scouts would come out really high to me. And, you know, it was just interesting to kind of pick that apart through the training process, kind of figure out why I really favored those applicants. The other interesting piece of that was to get to know each other as readers, as a team, to know each other's biases. So that because Dartmouth has at least two people read every application so that if I'm reading an application from, you know, Joe, I know that he really loves athlete, right? So I'm going to 
understand that when I look at his comments, that that might be have something to do with why he's so passionate about a certain application. So that's the beginning is, you know, like a full week of training and gearing up and talking about what the priorities for the current year are. And then it's reading these applications really quickly, really thoroughly, writing up comments. Average reader reads over a thousand applications each year. Definitely the ones that come in during the early decision process at Dartmouth, you just have a little more time. You're not as crunched. You're still, you know, expected to read them very quickly, but the pile is so much smaller at that point that I do think those applications are read more thoroughly, a little more slowly. So that can be an advantage to those applicants, especially applicants whose stories are maybe a little complex or, you know, you have to kind of unpack their journey. Having a little extra time makes a big difference. Now, what kind of students is Dartmouth looking for? And, you know, what attributes might students explore if they'd like to showcase school fit? Yeah, so Dartmouth wants students who are really interested in being authentically themselves, right? So they look for an authentic voice, a kid who is passionate about what they're doing and who has kind of explored on their own their interest, not just kind of a vague or general vision of what they might want to study or do, that's going to be a positive in the application process for sure. They're not, Dartmouth is not going to be a college that's super impressed by like stuffy writing or fancy vocabulary, right? They're looking for kind of a genuine student voice. They want to know what this kid is like because Dartmouth is a small place. So each individual really is important, has an impact in their dorm, in their classrooms, in the dining hall. So they want to know who these people are. They want to see that they're going to add to this small community in a really positive way. The other thing I think Dartmouth is looking for is somebody that really knows and understands and wants the Dartmouth experience because Dartmouth is pretty different from a lot of its peer institutions. One, it's rural setting. They want to know that students are like excited about that, not just willing to deal with it or tolerate it for four years, but excited about the beauty of the surroundings, the kind of focus on your experience because, you know, you're not in the middle of a city with lots of its own distractions and alternative experiences. So somebody who's attracted by that kind of setting doesn't necessarily mean you have to be somebody who wants to hike and canoe or like I'm not an outdoorsy person but I loved the beauty of the place and I think looking for students who are going to appreciate that in their own way whether that means you know you're somebody who wants to be out on the horse farm or at the ski mountain or or whether it just means you're somebody who's going to look out the window at the leaves and really appreciate where they are I think that's important and an understanding of Dartmouth's kind of small size and the fact that it's a college, not a university, I think is important to them that students want that kind of experience that's so focused on the undergrad and an indication that they're going to take advantage of, of that. We want applicants who, you know, who want to really get to know their professors, who want to be in small classes, who want, you know, the focus to be on them and their education. 
I just Googled a picture of the Dartmouth campus. It does look really nice. There's like a like a river running through it. I don't know. Yeah, the Connecticut River yeah. runs right alongside. And, you know, it's it's in the mountains, in the white, right at the beginning of the White Mountains. And they have their own skiway and they have their own oh. horse farm. And mm. at, at one point, I'm not sure if it's completely true anymore, but at one point it was the truth that Dartmouth College owned more of New Hampshire than the state of New Hampshire did. They <laughs> have these massive land grants with hiking trails and cabins and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm not I'm not an athletic or outdoorsy person, but it's definitely my happy place up there. It's just so there's so much to appreciate. And then so obviously we mentioned the size and we mentioned the location, but are there anything else that makes Dartmouth very unique in comparison to the other Ivy Leagues or other elite schools? The Dartmouth student life scene is pretty different in part because of the remote nature and the fact that it's just a college. Dartmouth fraternities are kind of famous in not such a great way, but that is an aspect of the community that students should be aware of. And I think admissions is not particularly looking for people who are coming for that, you know, that party scene, that frat scene. Um, I think admission skews in the other direction. They're looking for people who really want to, you know, pursue their academics, pursue individual research, pursue, you know, community building and service. Dartmouth cares a lot about volunteering and, and service. Even as alumni, Dartmouth encourages alumni service and tracking of alumni community hours and it's something the college really prioritizes so that would be something that'd be a big positive for an applicant and again i think it's partly just because dartmouth is in this very small town where they really make up a large chunk of the community they're very aware of their impact so dartmouth students play a tremendous role in kind of serving the local communities up there. So students can apply regular decision or they can apply early decision. How do you recommend students decide if early decision is the right choice for them? Early decision definitely gives an advantage. I think it's a little bit deceptive because that early decision round includes all the recruited athletes. And, you know, it tends to be very heavy with legacies. Dartmouth does still give a preference to legacy applicants. I think that, you know, on paper, it looks like, oh, if you apply early decision, your chances are doubled. It's not, I don't think it's really quite that strong of an effect, but there's a definite effect. You know, Dartmouth's been taking, like many of its peers, around 50% of the incoming class during early decision. These are applicants that they know are going to come, that they know Dartmouth is their first choice. That's very appealing to the admissions office. Uh, admissions offices care about yield, like what percentage of people that they offer a spot to are going to actually enroll. And with early decision applicants, you know it's 100%. So that that's very appealing. So if Dartmouth is your first choice, I absolutely do recommend that you apply early decision. Now with my own daughters who applied to Dartmouth, one applied early decision and was accepted and one refused to apply early decision. She just couldn't commit. She couldn't make up her mind at that point in the process. She's my shopper. She wanted to kind of look at all of her offers and compare them. That made me nervous. That was not my advice. I don't think that was a good strategy. It worked out for her, but my advice to anyone would certainly be if it's your first choice, any school that is your first choice and offers early decision, 
you should take it. You should go early decision and show them absolutely certain that it is your first choice and that you will be coming if accepted. People get nervous about early decision for a variety of reasons, but I, I think there's an enormous strategic advantage, not quite double, but significant. And then if a student is deferred early or waitlisted during the regular round, do you recommend a letter of continued interest? Absolutely. Dartmouth definitely cares about showing that interest. Like they're not on the list of schools who track um, your emails or whether or not you're, you know, attending all of their webinars and stuff, but they, they are going to want to see through a letter of continued interest and updates to your application that you're still engaged and you still want to come. You know, I, students definitely are accepted after being deferred. The wait list varies tremendously. Some years it doesn't budge at all, and some years it moves a lot. That's kind of hard to predict the wait list, and that's true at all of the, you know, top 20 schools. There will be years where no one gets off the wait list, and there'll be years where, you know, it moves significantly. These past couple of years have been really hard to predict, the kind of the pandemic effect of, no required test scores and application numbers going through the roof. It's really hard for colleges to try to anticipate what their yield is going to be. So it's, it's wreaking havoc with all of those computer models of how many students they should accept and what they can anticipate to try to get to the ideal class size. Now, Dartmouth has announced that they'll be test optional through at least the next admission cycle, the 2022 to 2023. So how do you think current admissions officers view these policies? Are they actually test optional? Or are they test neutral, test preferred? How do your students decide when to submit? I definitely do think the schools are test optional. And I think the stats that we have so far indicate a slight preference for students who have submitted testing, particularly international students or any student from a school that is kind of an unknown, right? If you if you go to a school that, you know, is well known by the college, public or private or parochial, it doesn't matter, but it's a school that like, they have a very traditional curriculum, easy to understand, the college knows that those applicants are w well prepared. I don't think that the test scores in that situation are gonna be as crucial as they would be if you attend, you know, a brand new charter school or, you know, an international school that's never sent students to the U.S. before, then I think the standardized tests are really helpful because they help put things into context. But I think, you know, a student doesn't have to go all one way or the other, like within their applicant application list, they can decide to send scores to some schools and not to others. I think that's what I'm recommending. That's what I recommended to my son and to the students that I work with. You know, if you're test scores are going to be an advantage to your application or a neutral. So like if, as long as they're within or above that middle 50% of test scores, then you should send them, right? Because if, if you don't send them and a school and schools see that you are somebody who probably had access to testing, right? You either go to a school that hosted an SAT test, all your classmates have submitted scores, something like that. They're going to assume the worst if you don't submit them. So if it's a neutral, if you're within that 50% band, like you should send them. If they're going to hurt your application anyway, then 
don't send them if you have that option, right? If they're below that middle 50%, they're going to be a negative to your application, whether you send them or not. So at that point, I think take advantage of the fact that you don't have to send them. I mean, I think it's valid that these schools should be test optional because even kids who had opportunities to take the test not had the same educational experience as in years past. Prep classes have been disrupted, just basic like curriculums have been disrupted and kids have had such uncertainty. So you prepare and prepare and prepare for a certain test date and then you're quarantined and you can't go on that date or the test is canceled because of an outbreak. It disrupts that whole process of gearing up to take the test. And that's such a huge part of how you do on test day is that kind of planning and prepping and building up to that like one day for so many students. Disrupting that is is really kind of undermines their whole study pattern. So I think it's great. And I'm I'm a big believer in disrupting the standardized testing. I hope it never really gains full strength again. I sit on the alumni board for enrollment at Dartmouth with the Dean of Admissions. And, you know, it's no decision has been made about the future. There's no there's no long term vision. I don't think there's even a, a preference expressed by the admissions office. It's an open question and colleges are all watching to see like what happens with these classes who are admitted where significant numbers of the students didn't submit testing. How do they do? So far, it looks like they're doing really well. Right. And I imagine also maybe students like test prep classes are virtual. Some students can't concentrate well online. So yeah, there are all those factors. All those pieces. Absolutely. Could you walk me through just like a day in the life of a Dartmouth admissions officer in each season? So the season where you're actually reading applications and then also the off season? There's less of an off season than you would think. So fall is this training and starting the early decision apps that, you know, is less frantic, but it's still pretty full time. Winter regular decision, that's the frantic time where it's just like there's, you're just, the pile just seems endless. You just like go, 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 go. Then things move to committee once the first round um, is done. So in committee, admissions officers are advocating for the applications that they feel the most strongly about and try to convince everybody around the table uh, to feel the same way. That's very stressful. And, you know, there's always those kids that you just kind of fall in love with their application and there's not necessarily a space for them. You know, they're qualified and they're, but in the end, the dean is shaping a class, right? So from all the qualified students, they're going to put together a balanced class that's balancing academic interests and gender and geography and so many things, right? So that's pretty hard to predict. That's not really something you could game from the outset. Then decisions go out. There's a small break. Everybody takes their vacations. But this is like high season for uh juniors visiting campus and for colleges visiting high schools. So again, COVID has messed with that, but it's kind of roaring back. College visits are way up right now. So there's a lot of hosting of information sessions and planning for the next season. Even during the spring, 
there's often applications to be read for summer programs, for like recruitment programs that a number of colleges hold. So there's those applications come into play. And then some of the athletes are on like a different schedule. Those applications come in early. There are certain like nonprofits that help underprivileged kids with their applications. Those come in on an earlier cycle. So that process just kind of keeps keeps going throughout the year. It's a, it's a stressful job because you care about these kids, you know, and you are trying to be kind and you're trying to be respectful. And, and at the same time, you know, you're getting a sense of their life in 12 pages and 10 minutes and, and trying to make a decision about whether they're what your school needs. It, it can be hard. But what I really liked about it was that that process of trying to really get to know someone in that way and try to imagine what they're like. And for me, one of the things I always looked for was like, is this somebody I want to get to know more? You know, do I have questions? Do I think they'd be fun to sit next to at lunch? Like what, what about their application kind of makes you think they have a lot more to say, a lot more to do. They're going to contribute. They're going to be an important part of the community. When you're actually reading the application, what's your process? How are you evaluating it? What are you reading first? So I think that, you know, varies depending on the admissions officer. I like to start with the applications uh, activity list. I think the activity list is kind of a one and a half page synopsis of how somebody spends their time. And you add up all those little descriptions of each activity. It's basically an essay. It's the size of the personal statement. So that's where I like to start because I feel like it's in outline form and I can really get a sense of who they are, what their interests are, how they prioritize their different activities. You know, students are asked to put those in the order of importance. So we're able to kind of see from the top to the bottom what students really, the student really cares about. I like to know all of that first and then go back and look at the classes they've taken and academic standing and academic honors and then into the essay. So I save essay and recommendations to the end. I think the recommendations I usually read very last. I like to hear everything kind of from the student side first. I like to get all the stuff that they have sent to the office first and then read kind of what others have to say about them, their teachers and their guidance counselors. I mean, recommendations are by and large hugely positive, but there's great range in terms of how specific they are and how effusive the praise is and the kinds of things that are highlighted. Dartmouth also asks for a peer recommendation from a classmate, a friend, a teammate, a relative, somebody kind of from the applicant's generation that can again, give us a sense of what they're like as a person. And this goes back to what I was saying about looking for people who are really going to, you know, be a nice addition to the community. So the peer application, I think, again, pretty universally positive. It's not necessarily going to make or break any application, but I think it just adds to that ability to see the applicant as a complete person, to get a sense of, you know, how how do they play nice with others? Like what is the, what is their relationship with a peer when they're choosing somebody, right? So the applicants picking somebody who, you know, they anticipate will say great things about them. What are the things that are said? So 
that's not evaluated on like the writing skills of the peer mentor. I know kids often stress about like that. Obviously admissions officers know like that's out of your control, but just based on kind of like, what are the things that that person has to say about you? What kind of friend or teammate or classmate are you? That really matters at Dartmouth in part, I think, because the community is pretty small. So it's, it really, uh, it really cares about every member. Right. I was going to ask later about that peer recommendation. Are there any just like do's or don'ts? Like, are there any recommendations you would read where you're like, Ooh, don't ask that person. Sure. I mean, I definitely have read some bad recommendations too. Um, teachers too. Like some teachers just don't do a good job. There's some teachers are very out there and let you know that like they have a form letter they're going to fill out and they're going to plug your name into it. Those are not good recommendations. They're not personal. A lot of times they, you know, they get the pronouns wrong because they're not thoroughly like those are a mess. So I think it's worth, you know, asking the guidance counselor about the teachers you're thinking about having write the rec for you. Like ask if they, you know, if they do a good job, if they write nice recommendations, <clears throat> because you want somebody who's going to take the time to make it personal, to make it specific, to really talk about their interactions with you. I read a peer recommendation once from somebody who said like, I barely know this applicant. I, I told them that I didn't think I was a good choice to write this letter, but they said they didn't have anyone else. So I'm writing it, but I don't know what to tell you. Right. So like, that's obviously not a great choice. They would have been better off just not submitting a peer rec at all than to have a letter like that. So I think the peer rec too, like, again, the important thing is that genuine nature. Don't just go ask somebody because they're famous or, oh, their dad went to Dartmouth or whatever, right? Like that doesn't matter at all to the admissions committee. They want to know who, who you are, what you're like in your daily interactions. That's what they're trying to get a sense of. So a sibling is fine. I think Anybody who's going to be able to talk about you in a more casual way is a good choice. Pick somebody who knows you well and who, who really likes you and wants you to do well in your, in your college journey. Don't pick like, you know, the class valedictorian just because you think they're really smart and they'll use big words. Like that's not important. Pick somebody who really knows you. Has anyone ever picked like their mom? Just like yeah. a raving review from a mom? Yeah, I've seen it. I, a mom's not really a peer, you know, so it's not really what they're looking for. Again, I, you know, you're not going to be super like penalized for that. That's not going to be a deal breaker on the application, but it's, it's not going to add much because everybody's mom is going to rave about them, right? They're looking, they're looking more for a peer, somebody of your generation. So not a coach, a teammate, you know, not a teacher, a classmate, somebody that is, you know, kind of within your age range that's going to be able to talk about you from that perspective because we have already three adults in the file two teachers and a guidance counselor who've already told us what you're like from from that kind of vantage point to what degree if at all does dartmouth track demonstrated interest so to be honest i don't know what they're doing today ellen so i'm not sure that i'm an authority on this i would say this i would say dartmouth loves people who love Dartmouth. In the old days, there used to be kind of a, a really clear drooling for Dartmouth 
indication that admissions officers would talk about. That's no longer the case, but I think Dartmouth is somebody that is not just going to assume that you love them and that you know everything about them. They want you to to demonstrate that. You know, I think the Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Stanford's like they just assume that everyone loves them and wants to come there. Maybe I think that you know Dartmouth is different. They know that they're different, and and they want to know that you know and that you appreciate what they have to offer. And I have to say, Dartmouth's doing a great job with their online resources and podcasts, and like there's a lot of ways to learn about Dartmouth from the source. There's the student blogs, the, the dean does a, does a series. Like there's a lot of ways to really hear right from them, you know, what they're like, what they're looking for. So I do recommend that if, if you think this is your school, go listen to that stuff. Be able to kind of position your application in a way that's gonna answer the questions that Dartmouth is looking for. You know, I think of an application as like a snapshot and, you know, we all can look really different from one snapshot to another. So I think the way that we kind of emphasize ourselves in an application is can be completely different, right? Like you can position yourself, you can emphasize certain activities, you can write about certain um, qualities or experiences. It can be done so many different ways. There's so many different ways that any one person could be presented. So I think if you have a dream school and it's a school like Dartmouth that, you know, really wants to see certain sides of you, they want to see your community service, that you care about others, they want to see your impact in your community, then you want to put those things front and center. Does Dartmouth do alumni interviews and does that, what role does that play in the application? Yes, they do alumni interviews. I've been an alumni interviewer. It's a nice kind of extra voice in the application process. Again, it's not going to make or break your application. Alumni interview reports are overwhelmingly positive. I think part of that is, you know, the alumni love their school. That's why they're volunteering to do interviews. They're super excited to meet these kids who might go to their school. They want to know the kids you know, the kids that they're meeting to know that they are going to get in and like they want to be part of that whole process. So alumni interviews are just almost always kind of glowing raves they're like this student's amazing. You should take them to the point where like when I would if I read some cranky like, you know, negative alumni interview, my thoughts would always kind of immediately go to like, what, what, what does this interviewer have to say about other applicants? Because you know, this is so out of, out of the norm. So it's not essential to your application. If you're nervous about interviewing, if you feel like you're not going to come across well in an interview, it's not required and you definitely don't have to do it. But if you're excited about Dartmouth, you know, meeting an alum who loves the school is fun. Like you can look at it as a exciting opportunity to ask some questions and to communicate your enthusiasm with somebody who is equally enthusiastic. I think, you know, Dartmouth often will like go to the alumni interview report. Like, let's see what the, let's see what the alum had to say in a, on a student that they're kind of on the fence about, you know, that'll be something that they, that they look at. 
So it's an important part of how Dartmouth sees themselves as like this family, right? The alumni and the current student body that Dartmouth sees everyone as being very connected. So that alumni interviewer plays an important part of that circle. But I think it depends on the individual student, whether that's going to be an asset. I had a really nice time doing my alumni interviews in high school. I remember it was like a very, it was like, it was a great additional way to kind of like get to know the school based on kind of just like the personality of the yeah. alumni reader or alumni yeah. interviewer. I agree with you, but I, I don't think that's true for every kid. There are some kids that it just makes them so anxious or yeah. for whatever reason, it's not going to be ideal. But I think it's a, particularly if there's anything about your application that you're worried about that you think like, oh, English is my second language and I'm, I'm worried they're not going to think that I, whatever, like go have that interview. So you have an alum saying, wow, this person's communication skills are great, right? Like if, if that alum can kind of verify anything that you're nervous about, that could be a help. And they almost always will ask, is there anything you would like the admissions office to know that's not in your application or that you want to emphasize? So that is a chance for you to kind of emphasize or, or add uh, something to your story. One of my interviews, the lady like made me get up and perform a monologue. <laughs> I like got up. I think I performed maybe like Rosalind's monologue from As You Like It. She was like, wow. get on up, do a monologue for me. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> I was applying to theater program, so okay, don't worry okay. if you're like a STEM kid. Like, no wow. one's going to make you recite Shakespeare. <laughs> That's a little unnerving. Yeah. No, I think, you know, it does depend a lot on the school and what the program you're applying for, but but not at Dartmouth because at Dartmouth, yeah. everybody's, you know, you're not applying by major. You're not applying. So there's no differentiation. I think you're uniquely qualified to answer this question, this next question, because you're a parent, you're an alumni, you're a former admissions officer. So what are the misconceptions about Dartmouth and about applying to Dartmouth that you encounter? So I think there is a misconception that like everybody at Dartmouth is a sporty, outdoorsy, you know, skier or whatever. I think that that is not the case and you don't have to be that to be a successful applicant i think you know dartmouth really appeals to that kind of person so a lot of applicants are but i don't i don't think that you're at a disadvantage in the admissions process in any way if that's if that's not your thing but like i said earlier as long as you are clear that like you appreciate the place and the size and the fact that it's a college. I also think there's a misconception that, you know, Dartmouth is super isolated and, you know, there's nothing to do, for instance. It's a very busy place. There are so many things going on. You could, you could never do them all. I think that's true of any college campus, really. So the fact that it's, it doesn't have graduate schools, for instance, I think you know, can mean that there's less like high level research happening on campus. But what it means also is that all of the resources on campus are for undergrads, are available to undergraduates. So, you know, I think that people have a misconception that Dartmouth is like all jocks, all like crunchy granola hikers and and that there's nothing to do there, that it's super isolated. And I just, I don't think that that's how it feels when you're there. It's an amazing little college town, super cute little college town, place where you feel very safe. 
moving on to the application itself, what are some major mistakes that you often see applicants make? Okay, so there's some really dumb mistakes like, you know, mentioning another school in your personal statement. <laughs> it happens every year. Admissions officers see this. It's so just dumb and sloppy. You know, that personal statement goes to every school. Don't write in your personal statement about Stanford being your dream because, you know, Dartmouth's not going to love that. That's something just really sloppy. I think trying too hard to be impressive instead of being genuine is a mistake that students make a lot. I think that in the end, when you look at your application, you could say, yeah, that's that's me. Like all of that is me. That represents me. You read that, you get to know me and you know, either you have room for me or you don't, but that's who I am. I think that's how you should feel at the end of the process. You shouldn't look at your essay and think, wow, it's really sophisticated and impressive. Like that's not the goal. The goal is for it to be you, to communicate your voice, your story. So I think that's a mistake that, that people make because you know, they're nervous and they want to be impressive. Trying to be impressive is not is not gonna do it. Another mistake I think people make is this idea, because Dartmouth does care so much about their alumni network, this idea that you, you know, recommendations should be from alumni or somehow like influential people is, is a common mistake. Like that's just not what admissions officers care about. So I think, again, just asking people who who know you well, like I've had, I've had, you know, friends of friends call and ask me if I'll write a recommendation for Dart to Dartmouth for their kid that I've never met. You know, it would be absolutely zero help to the kid that I've never met for me to write any kind of letter based on their resume or whatever, because I don't know them and I, I don't have any personal interactions to share. That's not what they're looking for. So, you know, I think that, that's part of the panic of applying. You just start to kind of think of these crazy, desperate, trying to get an advantage in the process somehow. And it, it just doesn't work like that. So Dartmouth has two supplemental essays. The first one is 100 words, and it's pretty standard. It asks about the college's programs, community, or campus environment, and what attracts the student to them. And then the second one's a little more unique. It's 250 to 300 words, and there's six different options. And they kind of cover like a wide range of different like kind of topics, like what excites you or talk about your history or genealogy. So how do you think students can approach these essays? So I will say that the essays change, you know, from year to year. So you have to always kind of check before you start writing, like what, what are the requirements this year? In terms of the first one, I, I think, you know, being as specific as possible about why you want to attend Dartmouth is really helpful. If you have visited the campus and you can talk about specific things that appeal to you, a certain library or a certain off-campus program that you've learned about, or, you know, like, I think those kinds of details are really helpful instead of just a general, it's pretty and it's got a great reputation. Like, try not to say what everyone will say. Try to say what really is specific to you. In terms of um, your choice of the essays that they're giving right now, you know, there's no right or wrong one to pick. It doesn't matter at all. Pick the one where you have the most personal response, where you're not going to just say something standard. If you read your essay back and you think, oh, you know, my friend Carol could have written the same same thing, then it's not a good response, right? It should be you. It should be 
include anecdotes, details, your voice. So any of those essays that are going to give you a chance to sound like yourself and to tell a personal narrative and to show us who you are, that's the key. If you can't choose, write them all. Like, right? That's not going to that'll be a good exercise for you, right? Write, write them all, outline them all, and then see which one seems the easiest to write. The one that is the easiest for you to write is probably a good place to start because that's just gonna mean you have more ideas, you have material that you wanna share. And are there any other specific mistakes you'd often see for the supplemental essays? You know, you can tell if an essay's just been recycled and they just plugged in the name of the school, especially that Y school essay, that first one. You know, if it just talks about, I want a liberal arts college where there's a strong community, that's why I want to apply to blank, right? You could fill in Swarthmore, Dartmouth, Skidmore, like that's not a good essay, right? It should be specific about the school. So you've got to do some research. You've got to know some details that really relate to you. I've seen students write the Y school essay as if they're describing the school to like a visitor from outer space. Like the school is located in New Hampshire, which is in the Northern part of the U S and gets a lot of snow. Like they, you know, the admissions office knows all that. It's not, that's not helpful at all. So remember that the purpose of these essays is to help the admissions officers get to know you and help decide if, if you're what the school needs right now. So everything that you share, should be moving towards that point, towards that point of helping them get to know you. You already mentioned earlier on the value of standardized testing for international applicants. Do you have any other insight that you'd offer them? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, kind of uh, any way that you can express knowledge of the place, like if you haven't had a chance to visit, Try to talk to somebody who's gone to Dartmouth. Talk to a classmate um, who's, you know, attended a few years ahead of you. Or, you know, try to to show that you are not just applying because it's an Ivy League school and it has a good reputation. Like that it specifically is a fit for you. So I think that that's helpful in when you're doing your research. Don't just stick to the website, but like think about people that you can talk to. At the same time, remember that any one person you talk to is just one person. They're going to have their own like quirky likes and dislikes that are not set in stone for you, right? If they don't like the food, doesn't mean that you won't like the food or they think such and such professor is the best ever, doesn't mean it's the best professor for you. So keep in mind, you know, that perspective, but a little bit of personal knowledge from somebody that you know can be really helpful. I do think for international applicants, you know, showing that your English skills are really strong, showing that even if your curriculum is structured differently, that you have kind of all the fundamental building blocks that you need. I think if there's anything about your school that needs explaining, that's worth doing in the little educational explanation section to talk about, you know, if your school has an unusual curriculum or a specific track that you have chosen to follow, to emphasize certain topics or, or learning styles, like that's worth discussing. And again, that just helps helps the admissions officer get to know you better. And then do you have any specific insight for transfer applicants? For transfer applicants, like universally, you wanna be 
you want to frame your application from a positive standpoint about like why the transfer will be exciting and positive for you and not from a negative standpoint of like what's wrong with the school where you currently attend. And I think transfer applicants, you know, are generally speaking unhappy where they are. And they, I often see those applications come in with this very negative tone and perspective of like everything that's wrong with where they are. And that's not what colleges want to see. They want to see that it's a positive choice for you, that you're looking to grow in a certain direction, that you've realized what you're looking for is something different and here's what it is and here's why you're excited about it. The other thing is no matter how unhappy you are at your current school, it's important to do really well and to get involved and to have positive impact there that you can talk about when you apply to transfer. Because if you just say like, I hate my current school and my grades are terrible and I haven't made any friends or done any activities, that's a pretty tough sell. So Dartmouth doesn't take a tremendous number of transfer students in part because not many people leave, right? They have a really high retention rate. People who come to Dartmouth generally really like it and, and stay. So it's quite competitive, but all of the same advice applies and more so. So like as a transfer, I think it would be worth reaching out to the academic department that you're interested in studying and you know, try to talk to a faculty member about what your experience would be like as a transfer, what courses you would need to take to catch up in the curriculum and be able to talk about that specifically so that it, again, it doesn't just seem like a whim. For students who are in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, maybe even middle school, how should they build their profile right now if they really think they want to go to Dartmouth or a Dartmouth level school in the future? So I think finding activities that you genuinely are excited about is important. Like I think the most important strategy is to identify stuff you love to do, not like do debate because it's impressive or do field hockey because, you know, it's, it's a sport that stands out or whatever, like do debate if you love it, do field hockey if you can't get enough of it, but like don't, don't choose an activity because you think it's gonna be strategic down the road because you can tell, you know, when you, when you read those essays and applications, you can tell if an activity is just kind of being done for the sake of having it on the application. I would recommend in the younger grades, like, you know, convince your friends to start something with you, like start a club together. It's tough as like a ninth or even 10th grader to be the one kind of proposing something new and kind of unifying and being co-founders of something. If you have a classmate who might be interested in the same activity, I think that's a great way to start off on your, your leadership experience in the early grades. And remember that you're not limited to stuff in your school. Colleges in many ways value community activities even more than school activities because school activities are often like pre-existing, self-explanatory, you know, chess club or whatever it is that, you know, is a good activity, but it, it doesn't lead us to say, wow, tell me about that. <laughs> Whereas if you say, oh, I started a drop-in chess game at my local library where I play with everyone from five-year-olds to 90-year-olds, 
we might say, wow, tell me more about that. Like how many people come and what is it like? You know, we're not going to ask that about a high school chess club. We know what a high school chess club is. So I think any time that you can kind of expand into the community, expand beyond like the people that are your exact same age, that's going to be more interesting to admissions readers who are, are learning about who you are and what you're like. Do you have any additional words of wisdom or just words of support for applicants? Yeah, I guess my words of support would be like, there's a million amazing colleges, <laughs> maybe not a million, a thousand amazing colleges. And there's so many places where you will thrive and be happy. There's no just one place. And some of the schools are really unique and have their own kind of sense of a different life, a different life of the mind. I think Dartmouth is one of those places. I think it's pretty unique, but if you love Dartmouth, there are a lot of other great schools that have things in common with Dartmouth that you should check out. And they're not all in rural New England. You know, some of them are in suburban Philadelphia or you know, the middle of the in the middle of the country. So I think, you know, identifying a school that you love is great, really helpful, but then you've got to pick apart why it's a school that you love, what are the things about it that you love, and then look for other schools to put on your list in, a, in the same way, in the same way it's really important, you know, to identify what you don't like about a school. I think no school is perfect. So I think if you can identify what you don't like about a school, then again, you can, you know, look for schools that don't have that quality or that attribute that you view as negative. So I think for everybody, the the pros and cons are going to be different. And it's important to kind of be open-minded in the college search process to learning about someplace that you didn't expect was going to be a great fit for you, but actually really might be a place that you would love. I don't think there's any one school for people. I don't think, I don't believe in like a perfect match and a per perfect school, but I think it's more about identifying a range of places where you can be yourself, learn, grow, explore your interests, get a great education, develop as a leader, all of those qualities. That's going to depend on who you are and what you're looking for. So figuring out those, those details can help you make that college list really reflect what you are looking for. And whatever school ends up at the top of the list, if it's Dartmouth, if it's somewhere else, and they offer early decision, I think that is clearly the way to go. Get your stuff together early and, and be ready to apply early and let, let the school at the top of your list know they're the top of the list. Thank you so much for joining us today, Heather. I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insight into admissions at Dartmouth. For more information, check out our blog linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social media with the hashtag InsideAdmissions. That's all for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office. <laughs>